0: Amen. You can be seated. I want to preach a message to you today that I have entitled, What About the Wise Men? What about the wise men? Listen to me. What happens when you follow a star and yet you find a stable? Did you ever think about that? If an angel showed up to you or if a star shone brightly in the sky to you, some magical moment happened in your life and you were supposed to follow those directions to the footstool of a king, would you expect to find a stable? Probably not. But I'm guessing that you probably had dreams for your life as well. And along the way, there have been some stable moments. What about these wise men? If you have a Bible, meet me in Matthew chapter 2. I want to dive into their story a little bit. But while you're turning there, let's think about these wise men for a moment. Their legend has grown quite magnificent over the years. Every year at Christmas, maybe you have one of these. We have this card holder that we hang on the wall. And then when all of you send me a card or send my family a card, we stick it on the thing and we look at your family and we're grateful for you. And it's all very nice. And we put all those cards there, but without fail, someone in the Christmas season will send us a card and on it will be the wise men, right? Right. On it will be the wise men. Somewhere in our Christmas card stack, we will have a wise man, And I bet you can see that card in your mind, can't you? You can see that, that, that those three wise men riding perfectly sculpted camels hundreds of miles across the desert without breaking a sweat. They're draped in gold. They might have a crown on or a beautiful turban. Their legend has grown to be this... Amazing group of three, (laughs) a bit of trivia, though, how many wise men are there? We don't know, right? Like, but we, because there's gold, frankincense and myrrh, we sing songs like we three kings of orient are right. But that's not necessarily the case. There were three gifts mentioned, but no mention of how many wise men there actually were. But that isn't really the issue, is it? The issue is, what was the Bible trying to get across to us in that visit of the wise men? What is it that the wise men can teach us about worshiping our Lord? What is about this familiar story, this legend that has grown... What is it that God actually wanted to tell us? What about these wise men? What do they have to say to us today? In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying where is he who has been born king of the jews for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him when herod the king heard this he was troubled some of your translations were say he was terrified fear has been a part of every single storyline of jesus incarnation right of him coming Angels are appearing to people and making people fear and they're being told to fear not. Now we come to Herod and he's afraid for a completely different reason. And so he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. I find it interesting in that moment that they knew this, but they didn't care about this. Isn't it interesting that he summons his scribes and his people, his wise men, if you will, and they know exactly what that star meant. And yet it hasn't shaped anything they do. So verse seven, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him, which, of course, we know wasn't true. But who were these wise men? First, they were a group of people who studied the movement of the stars. Now, what you probably have in your mind is an astronomer. And it was that, but it was not exactly that. Uh, What the old magi did was study what they believed was a cosmic power or force that was moving across the cosmos and that had an actual impact on life and history. Can you imagine studying the stars and seeing the star? Like how many astrologers throughout the years were looking for that star and yet these wise men, these magi or whatever you want to call them, Happened to be studying just as those who had gone before them were studying. And they see the star. Like the star. More on that in a second as to why they thought it was the star. But they were perhaps the first mystics, if you will. The first ones who were looking at the world around them and saying there's more to this than I can actually see But there is more. Make no mistake about it. They were acknowledging this unseen realm. So they would study these movements in the heavens and then they would make deductions about life from those movements of the heavens. Second, they were theological scientists. And I want to make this point important because they were not only studying the stars and their movements. There was a point to them studying the stars and the movement. They were making deductions about divine action. You see, what they were seeing in the heavens, they didn't believe was by chance. They believed that the things that were happening in the heavens were being orchestrated by a higher power and thus would have impact on what they did on a day-to-day basis. It's really only a Western experiment, a recent Western experiment, where science and the unseen realm have been divorced, where we've separated what we can see and what we cannot see. Divine action was as much a part of science for thousands and thousands of years as was experimenting. It's important for us to get in our head because they were scientists, but they were theological scientists. They were studying the movements of the earth, but they were studying them fully anticipating that God was going to break through in some way, shape or form. Important for us to know, because divine action was and still is. Are you listening to me? Divine action was and still is very much a real part of your life. Let me say it to you this way. We see what we're looking for. We see what we're looking for. You just have to be looking. Third, they were human, just like you and just like me. They were human beings. They were professionals just trying to figure things out. And I wonder maybe you're sitting here today at this Christmas, yet another Christmas, where you're in church and maybe you'll come on Christmas Eve and and you're going to do another Christmas, but yet year after year after year, we go through these motions and I wonder if you come here and you say... You know, I would just, if I could be honest, I'm still just trying to figure this thing out. We paint these pictures in our minds and maybe on our social feeds that, that we have a lot more figured out than we actually do, don't we? And I wonder if you were like them, I, I might just still be trying to figure this life out. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why do these Christians make such a big deal about Christmas? Is God real? How can he be real? And beyond that, if this God is real, how on earth could he care about somebody so, so insignificant as me? I mean, those are real questions, aren't they? They're big questions. And with the right answer, those questions can fill your life with hope and life and meaning. And purpose. And that's what we see these wise men were seeking. That's what these wise men and women today are still seeking. There are still wise people walking this earth trying to figure this thing out. And here's what I want to encourage you with in those three things about the wise men. That you don't have to check your brain at the door for you to believe in what you cannot see. These wise men were very rational, very professional, very much observing what was actually happening in the sky around them. They were thinking people. Let me say do this way. They were thinking people simply trying to discern what was true. No matter where the truth took them. I think sometimes we're afraid To go where the truth will take us. But I think that's exactly what they were doing. And as a matter of fact, you can go back and research what they were researching. If you have time. You can go back to the Old Testament and trace it all the way through. And look through those things. And so we continue knowing who they were. What answer did they find when they were looking? They started with the earthly king. Isn't that natural? I've read about this king that's coming in Bethlehem, in Judea, in Jerusalem, and I'm I'm going to go find them. Who is the king over Jerusalem? And so they start with an earthly king. And so they go and they talk to him and they start with Herod. He was an evil man and they choose to avoid him despite his request for their company divine action breaks through and they are told in a dream not to go back. And before we cast stones at Herod for slaughtering all the male babies in the Christmas story, it's kind of a black eye on the Christmas story. But before we point too many fingers, let's remember that every year in our own country, one million babies are murdered. And so very much like The Christmas story, we find ourselves in our own conundrum of a society, don't we? Where everyone kind of does what's right in their own eyes, as judges would say thousands of years ago. While so many things have changed yet, isn't so much the same. And so Jesus breaks into that space and here's these wise men studying the movements of the earth. And they're like, I think this is the star. It, like the scripture says, it says, they saw his star rising in the east. Pretty important. So Isaiah the prophet warns those cultures, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And so that's the situation where we find them. And so the Magi were seeking the one they were fairly sure was born to be a king. And they do what you would do in town. They ask around, like, who's this king? And they find their way to Herod and Herod says, when you find them, let me know so I can find them. And then we come to Matthew chapter two, verse nine. And let's finish the story here. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, there it is, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Do you ever think, why are they so happy when they see the star? Besides it just being awesome that a star appears, a star you've been looking for for a very long time. I want to read you three of those prophecies that would have had them excited about this star. Listen to what Daniel prophesied earlier in Daniel chapter nine, verse twenty five says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming. Here it is to the coming of an anointed one, a prince. There shall be seven weeks. So so hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, Daniel's saying, An anointed one is coming. Someone's coming that's going to right what is wrong. Jump to Numbers chapter twenty-four, even earlier in the scripture, in verse sixteen, it says, The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. Listen to this. I see him. Not now I behold him, but not near. And look at this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Sire his also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly and one from Jacob Shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. A star would be coming. And so these astrologers, these wise men were searching for something that they were certain was going to come. But they did not know when it would come. Is that not the, ad, the advent invitation for us? We know that a king is coming. We anticipate that Jesus will come again. What does that shape in your life right now? I love what we see the wise men doing. They're studying the movements of the earth, knowing that there's coming a moment where the star will come. And when it came, they were ready. They were ready. But they weren't just ready for for anything Look at Micah 5 two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one for me who is to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. When the star rose over Bethlehem and stopped on that stable, and when those wise men show up and Mary and Joseph don't balk at the story, but confirm it, what do they do? They fall down and worship. They fall down and worship Jesus. Listen, God can and does use the miraculous. It's happening all around us. It's happening at all times. And yet, whatever God uses to get our attention, the point is not the thing that he used to get our attention. The point is not... The star, the point of the story, isn't the star. The star was a vehicle to bring the wise men to who? Jesus. So listen, I don't know what God's using in your life to get your attention. But whatever he's using in your life to get your attention, I would advise you to pay attention, not just to the thing that he's using, but to pay attention to the thing he's using to bring you to. Jesus incredibly important because God always uses that thing. God always uses that miracle. God always uses that circumstance. God always uses that thing to bring you back to his word. Isn't it interesting that what these theological scientists, these wise men were doing was studying their old Testament, knowing that out of the truth of that word would come a star And it would be a miraculous star. And when that star came, that star took them to the feet of Jesus. And I just want to suggest that God brought you into this place at this time for this moment. Because he wants to use this particular moment to bring you during this advent to the feet of Jesus. That, that there could be nothing else happening of importance in your life. Or there could be a million things happening of importance in your life. And it would still at this moment be to bring you to Jesus. That was true for the Magi. And it's still true today. That we still meet Jesus... In the pages of this ancient book. What a powerful thing. We meet Jesus in the pages of this book. In a way that is as real as the next breath that you breathe. You can't see the oxygen going in and out. But you know it's there. You may not be able to see Jesus today. But I want you to know that he's there. He's with you. There's an arrogance today that says we don't need divine action. And I couldn't disagree more. For a hundred obvious reasons. And you could just watch the news for ten minutes to know them. We need divine action. I want to read you a story as I finish today. Because I want to sing that Silent Night song again. But I want to read you this story because I think it it pictures... The way that we encounter divine action in a cathedral in Copenhagen, Denmark, is a statue of Christ made by Bertel Thorvaldsen. and Thorvaldsen made the form of Christ in clay before he turned it into a statue with his arms outstretched and raised high in a gesturing command with his head up in triumph, right? And it's called a heroic statue. They make it intentionally gigantic so that it will just take your breath away. And so you can see the picture that Thorvaldsen was trying to create this larger than life, this 10 foot high statue with head and arms high, rising, ascending in triumph. That that was the Jesus that he was looking for. That was the Jesus that he was trying to portray. And I imagine that that was the Jesus that the wise men were probably looking for. It's certainly the Jesus that Jerusalem was looking for when they were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And yet they were sorely disappointed, weren't they, when he went to that cross and his arms certainly were outstretched, but for an entirely different reason. And so he Thorvaldsen makes the statue in the way that he wanted. And he leaves his studio to leave it hardened for a few days. And when he went back to finish his work, he couldn't believe what he saw. Because of a heavy rainstorm, the dampness had invaded, the humidity had invaded his studio. And the figure had changed entirely. He couldn't believe it. Instead of a head held high, it had bent downwards and the arms had drooped. Thervaldsen felt his statue of Christ was beyond repair. He grabbed a hammer and was about to demolish the statue, but he just couldn't do it. So he left the room. For some time, he wouldn't return to the room where the statue stood, but he finally went back to the studio accompanied by his friend. And when they opened the door, they stood in awe. Bathed in light, the lowered arms no longer depicted defeat that they saw. In them, those hands stretched out, was the compassionate, sympathetic arms encircling the sorrowful and needy. The head was now bowed with contrite countenance as if to say, I understand your travail. And then here's what. Travoltson says of that moment. He says, Some greater power had breathed meaning into my ruined statue. This was no defeated Christ. This was a compassionate Savior. That same statue stands in Copenhagen and underneath of it reads Jesus' words, Come unto me. And listen, if I could... Give you an invitation this Advent, this week that leads up to Christmas. I would just invite you to look at Jesus and find not just a triumphant king. He is that. But that triumphant king incarnated. He stepped out of the splendors of heaven and he came to this earth and he went to the cross. And his arms were outstretched and it was a victory, but it was an entirely different victory than the people standing there were looking for. And I want to invite you to consider Jesus invitation. Come unto me, because what was the rest of the invitation? Come unto me, all you who labor, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's yet another invitation of Advent to worship the king. Listen, those wise men were following a star. And I'm confident they had very high expectations when they got to that star. But what they found was a stable. What they found was a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a feeding trough. We've sensationalized the story to fit the Christmas vibe. Let me tell you, there was no vibe in that stable, was there? But Jesus was there. And listen, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what your circumstances are. Most of us try to hide them. But I want you to know that no matter what you're going through at this very moment, no matter how alone you feel, no matter how excited you feel, no matter how Blessed you feel, no matter how depressed you feel. I want you to know that no matter where you are, the invitation of Advent is the outstretched arms of Jesus saying, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Jesus loves you. What an amazing thought. That he loved you enough to come as that baby in that manger on that first Advent. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? I want to invite you to stand. I want to sing that song, Silent Nighting. I'm going to have the band come up.